Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. All right. Well, thank you, Kira Maseth, for being back with us today. We're here in our part two installation on your learning community, operationalizing resilience for crisis response work and crisis response workers. We talked last week about purpose and just wanted to ask, how did that go last week? How was it talking with people in a more engaging and interactive sense? You know, we know webinars are not so much that, and that's what we're trying to do with these learning communities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really helpful to allow people who are colleagues and peers in this type of work to get some good support from one another, really unique, rather than, you know, someone on the outside saying, you can do it, like cheerleader style. This is about sharing, um, you know, the reality of how hard the work is. And then at the same time, balancing that with, because I am in it with you, I see it and I get it in a fundamental way that other people don't. And having that discussion framed in the context of purpose and motivation, I think was really helpful for the participants. I'm hoping it was. There was some good discussion around motivation and really the the need and the necessity of rethinking what motivates you to do the work And, Mm -hmm. and letting go. Maybe there's some things from 2019 that just do not apply anymore. Either the rewards or resources that aren't available that used to motivate you that just are not on the table right now. And so what are the things now that allow you to continue to do the work that build you up, that make you feel sort of recommitted to it and, and sitting down and taking some time to explore that rather than just continuing to go to work every day, giving yourself that time really will help with that sense of motivation. Were there any surprises from what people shared? Uh, you know, I was on it for, for a lot of the time and definitely saw people coming to terms with that. I think that evolution, as you say, that what motivated you to come into the field may not be what's motivating you today to wake up. And how do you find that purpose that you're, you still have, it just may be on under some, some weight of some experiences and baggage or, you know, uh, traumas or, or whatever's happened in the field while you've been there. I think, um, I think the only, it wasn't quite a surprise, but it was just fascinating to kind of watch it unfold is the way in which all of these components of resilience are inextricably linked to each other. Mm -hmm. What I ended up hearing from folks was that a lot of their sense of purpose is really reinforced by the people that they work with. Mm -hmm. Connection, which is what we're going to be talking about today, to Mm -hmm. 
their colleagues and their coworkers and their clients and the mm-hmm. patients and, and the people that they're serving and supporting. So uh, it's it's funny how those two things are are so closely linked to each other. And your motivation and your sense of purpose might have been driven more extrinsically prior mm-hmm. to the pandemic. And now it's really intrinsic um, for a lot of people around the meaning and the relationships, which mm-hmm. is fundamental to connection. So play together. Many people did not go into helping professions to do charting, to do reports, to do treatment plans or, you know, whatever kind of paperwork or other sort of arduous things that were always expected, especially in the public sphere, to really demonstrate. You're supposed to be proving and showing how much progress you're making and you're dealing with people who sometimes are just trying to get through the day. But if you can reevaluate what the purpose of even those things you don't enjoy, that ultimately, hopefully they help someone receive benefits or move on towards uh, getting employment or finding their purpose. It's not every day is fluffy clouds. We know that, but um, it's, it's helpful to sort of even look at that. What are your messages today about what connection means? I think um, it might be a little bit counterintuitive, this this first one, but one of the biggest things is that because our relationships have been so strained, I think there's a tendency that many of us have to sort of hang on to any connections that we still have. We don't want to lose them. And I think one of the messages I really want to try and get across today is that it's not about just having connection. It's about the fact that whether or not they're healthy for you. And so it's not about keeping people in our lives, whether those are family members or friends or colleagues that are just connections for connection's sake. It's right. about it's about recognizing the necessity sometimes of pruning a little bit mm-hmm. and um, being strategic about, you know, your effort and your time and your sort of emotional vulnerability with people. Um, and it's really important to invest that in, in, the, in the folks who are healthy for you, whatever, whatever that definition is. So it's not, a, it's not just about grasping connection and hanging on to people. It's about thinking carefully about the value and the quality and the meaning and the health of the relationships that we have. Are there things that you have noticed that people, especially three years after COVID hit our lives, have been really struggling with? Like, what are some of the common things that really take away from connection or connections that, like you said, maybe things we're grasping on to, to not losing, but they aren't really serving us a purpose. Well, you know, I've, I joke about this in my clinical work a lot and it's not funny, but it's still like yeah. worth, it's worth a, it's worth a humorous comment from time to time, yeah. which is that I could make my whole living off of people's issues with boundaries and whether those are with their parents or with their colleagues or with mm-hmm. their friends or whatever, we just, um, and I don't think it's a unique American cultural problem. Mm-hmm. I think it is a human problem. I mean, and it's not always a problem per se, but I do think we have issues with establishing and maintaining clear boundaries around emotional responsibility for other people's behavior and credit where it's due and sort of the differentiation about what I am in charge of, how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking, how I'm behaving and what you're responsible for. And those, those psychological boundaries are just, um, I think they feel really confusing to a lot of people. And I honestly feel like because of the pandemic and the reliance on technology, when we we can be available to one 24 hours, seven days a week, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Healthy boundaries are essential for, for healthy and strong connections, whether those are professional or personal. You know, having some insight and awareness into what needs to change with boundaries sets the stage. It gives you that foundation for making good choices around relationships. It really fundamentally comes down to boundaries as being something that I think a lot of folks struggle with mm-hmm. that we need to start with in this conversation. 
Well, and that comes comes at all levels, right? So boundaries with our work and maybe specific people we're working with, but certainly not the first to imagine, but I, I need to go this extra mile because I want this person to know I care or no one else is doing it. Um, but are you able to come back and do that day after day after day? And can you do that for everybody and not be just, just absolutely deflated from energy, you know, after giving, 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 and never kind of refilling your cup, sort of, as you say, people are, I, I'm pretty sure looking at how their teams and agency culture are reinforcing maybe positive or less positive ways to be connected. Cause I certainly understand you can, if you can work virtually, you literally can be anywhere doing work on your phone, anywhere on your computer. And, and for those doing real life social service, kind of helping professions, there's the need never stops. It's never over. And so how do you find connection with those boundaries? Like, do you have things that you you recommend, you know, generally speaking, especially for those doing crisis work or finding a lot of crisis in their other role that they didn't know was going to be filled with crises, but there just are. I mean, one of the, the I mean, the techniques that most of the um, participants in this learning community are familiar with probably a CBT technique, playing the tape all the way to the end, like thinking mm-hmm. it all the way through, like, okay, so right now you have energy and you can give and give and give and not have limits around how much service you're providing. And you might have energy this week, but where does that go? When you play that tape all the way to the end, for how long can you do that? What happens when you're, you have something show up in your personal life where there's a family emergency or your car needs something big fixed, or there's a big like upheaval to that. What mm-hmm. happens then? And mm-hmm. so I really want to encourage people to, to step back, take a sort of a bird's eye view of their, their limits and what seems reasonable, because if you really are truly invested and engaged in this work, there, there is an implication in that to me that you want to be doing it for the long term only way, the only way to do this level of intensity of work is to have limits for yourself around when you're available, when you have the ability to recharge, um, when you can say no. And then also to have the systems in our clinics that are in place in support of those limits, because Mm -hmm. that's the only way the workforce is sustained in the Mm -hmm. long haul. And we know this, this isn't my opinion, this is research. And yeah, and I think we we know also very clearly, especially people doing crisis work, they're really high burnout fields. They yep. don't have enough, not that every helping profession has enough, but you know, not enough folks to fill the, the need that is maybe contractually obligated to do a 24-hour crisis line or to staff a, an outreach team or a yep. site-based center that you know is open and we need people to be there. It certainly is difficult if you're working extra to find those limits when maybe that's just not an option. So we know that this is really hard and you may think that this is something to throw out the window because it's futile. Um, But that's what I've heard you say over these past few years is that this is really crucial, that long-term marathon looking at your, your life. I think we all have those ups and downs where we've given a lot, given to a certain situation that we know is a specific time frame, but I also heard long ago some great advice. Don't start what you can't continue to do. And mm-hmm. that probably takes a minute to sink in and figure out, oh, so if I keep doing this and I play that tape out, I can't do that for everybody. Nothing left for for me. And I want to go home not feeling so empty and disappointed or frustrated that I can't can't fix everything that, you know, I can't enjoy the rest of my life. And that can feel guilty too, right? I mean, nobody wants to go home and pretend that suffering isn't happening. So 
What what are your hopes for people to kind of find that healthy connection with others? I think the first step in the process comes down to evaluating your use of time. Mm -hmm. Everybody has the same bucket of time. I've joked about before, you have all the time that there is. There's no like secret window of time. And so the first step starts with a little bit of reflection and evaluation about how it is that you're choosing to spend your time. And one of the questions I really like to ask rhetorically is of your off time, how much is spent in avoidance versus restoration, right? How much are you spending escaping and sort of disassociating from the stress versus doing things that are active coping oriented restorative? Because if, if it's the second, if it's the latter, parts of those things are going to be connection oriented. They're going to be purpose oriented. They're going to give you meaning and and it it also shouldn't feel like more work, right? It's mm-hmm. not your your restoration time shouldn't feel like more work, but it's stuff that's healthy for you. And mm-hmm. oftentimes those are just being in community. Those are just relationships. That's just listening and talking and sharing. And that's how valuable connection can be in the mm-hmm. long for supportive people. Now I used to tell new staff coming to my old job, if you always watch Netflix a little bit each day. That's, that's one thing, but if you now never watched it and all you do is come home and hide and just escape into Netflix, like there might be an issue, you know, with how much this is taking a toll on you. And it's, it's not only okay, it's imperative that we do those restorative things for you. I know we've joked around. It's not going to be a big yoga practice for me. I keep hoping, deluding myself, that's going to happen. It doesn't happen. But I, you know, you you find something that's like completely unrelated that you really have to focus on. Could be watching a movie that's restorative, but not trying to just get and away it from have it. To be, that's the other thing. It doesn't have to be a two hour investment. Right. It could be 10 right. minutes. Let's be honest. We all have 10 minutes, you know, yeah. TikTok and Instagram for 10 minutes. As always, thank you for wonderful insights. I'm excited for this continued experience and for people not in it to be able to hear some of your thoughts through this podcast and look forward to uh, next time. Thank you so much, Kara. so much. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.